Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And one of my favorite guests returns to the show. My dad, Teddy Irvin, is here as we wrap up the uh, never-ending Jericho 30 celebration. This is the last, though. He was there from the very beginning. Well, he's been there since the day I was born. But he was there from the moment I discovered wrestling to the day I told him that's what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, to my first visit to the Hart Brothers uh, Pro Wrestling School, which was behind a little gas station. Teddy's got stories about all that, uh, memories that he has that I don't, memories that I have that he doesn't. Uh, what he remembers about my first match, about coming to see me train, meeting Vince McMahon, seeing me wrestle at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. We talk about my tag team partners that he enjoyed, Big Show and Kevin Owens, the uh, ladder match I had with Shawn Michaels, the, the, the title match I had with Shawn Michaels, and a couple of the worst phone calls he ever received, the kind that no parent wants to get. Uh, great stories of my 30 years in the business from my dad's perspective uh, is coming up. So is a new ep uh, episode of the Winnipeggers tomorrow night, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel and Facebook. Uh, last week was our highest rated show ever when we did impressions live. This week, uh, we're going to, uh, to do some rock and roll crazy nights, sharing stories about some of the concerts we saw growing up in Winnipeg and around uh, the United States and Canada when we did rock and roll ro uh, road trips. Here's stories about uh, piss-covered Metallica guitar pick, a five-hour drive to Fargo for 1990s Hot in the Shade tour from Kiss, the Billy Idol rule, Magic Mushrooms at, Bl at Pink Floyd's Division Bell, and uh, my shared bathroom experience with Yoko Ono. <laughs> Come have a drink and a laugh with the Winnipeggers. New episode drops tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, on YouTube and Facebook. And don't forget to go to ProWrestlingTees.com to get your official Winnipeggers uh, uh, merch, Winnipeggers shirt. I think it's 20% off right now. And don't forget about Painmaker Apparel, T-shirts, hoodies, tracksuits, all inspired by my tours and times in Japan. Go to painmaker.store, get your order in today, right before Christmas. And uh, my fifth book, The Complete List of Jericho, available for pre-order now at jericho30.com. A collection of every one of my two uh, over 2,722-odd matches, whatever it is. Uh, top 10 list, personal stories from wrestling uh, uh, icons and legends from around the world. And if you pre-order now, you get an exclusive 90-minute companion podcast only for pre-orders where I talk all about the matches uh, that I had. So uh, go do that at Jericho30.com. And, of course, don't forget littlebitofthebubbly.com to pick up some of the remaining uh, inventory from uh, my award-winning award -winning, uh, uh, champagne, sparkling wine. All that stuff are great Christmas ideas. But now that we've got that done, let's go back to Teddy Irvin, a 30th anniversary uh, of Chris Jericho from a father's perspective right here on Talk is Jericho. All right, so it's, um, as everyone knows, it's been shoved down your throats, the 30th anniversary of, uh, of Jericho, and I thought kind of the, the, kind of the cool final piece of the puzzle would be to talk to uh, Talk is Jericho alumni, uh, Teddy Irvin, back again, uh, just to discuss kind of the, those early days and kind of the memories of what it was like for both of us, for you, because it's funny, because when I, I, I had... Uh, Lance on to do a couple watch-alongs for our first match and second match and his um, recollections are different than mine so it's just kind of cool to get the different stories and the different thoughts and all that sort of thing but hard to believe it's been 30 years it's incredible I agree what I did was uh, I'm at a stage in my life I reminisce lots about where I came from how I got there and when the 30th came up right away Things came to my mind that I was not, I was really pleased with the things I remembered. And I couldn't figure out why would I remember some of these things? Because I remember the bouts I've seen lots on TV. I've been there live. 
But there's other things that, that I often wonder, do you know, because you know what I like when I'm at the Rassan or at Fozzie, I go to the back and I like to watch the crowd and right. reaction. And uh, and all of a sudden things came to my mind, just popped up and I uh, talked to you. I said, my goodness, do you remember when, if, and ands and buts? And uh, yeah, it really was uh, quite 30 years and uh, congratulations. And uh I've got the poster here, the 25th, with uh, Luscious Lenny and uh, Don and uh, Lance. And going back to those guys, and out of the four of them, you you wrestled all 30 years, which is incredible. And so I often wondered, I don't get a chance to interview ever, interview you, is that what made you different? Like, uh, I played in the NHL. There's hundreds of hockey players that had more talent. Why did I make it? Why did you make it? And I always came back to you had the biggest heart, but you seemed to have a game plan when you were 17 or 18. And when a door shut, you just opened up another one. You had a tremendous uh, mind to say, I'm not going to let these guys put me down. So I, 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 when I started reminiscing, I went to like your interviews have always been spectacular. Where that come from? And I went back to the Silver Dollar Saloon and the, your gym there, and you guys had the the mic there and the cameras. And I thought you were fooling around, but obviously, you took it serious enough to say, "How do I get better at this?" Eh? And uh, so now it comes naturally to you. But at first, you were still learning, and so the thirty years to me has popped up lots of stuff about behind the scenes. Uh, in the dressing room, I don't know what, what stuff you'll talk about, but I'm fascinated to learn about you as my son. <laughs> the funny thing is, so 30 years ago, how old are you right now? 75. So you were 45. So you were younger than me, than I am now when uh, <laughs> when I started started uh, started wrestling, which is just and never once. Because, you know, to, to go to the wrestling career at that age, everybody's got an opinion in life, and you know what that is. But I never once ever doubted that you were going to be a wrestler. And that's what's so interesting. When I sit back, people say, well, did you ever know? I said, I never doubted it for some reason. Mm-hmm. One, I didn't know how you became one. You know, what was the rules? Or what, was, you know, what did you have to go through? But never, ever did I not think you aren't going to be a wrestler. Well, let's think. Let's think about some of this stuff because it's really interesting. Like, kind of going back uh, to how I got into wrestling, and that was with, I think, with my grandma, your mother. She she loved watching wrestling, and obviously, I know my side of it that she was a big fan of 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 you know watching the AWA because I say it's, it was like it was like the triumphant of of childhood programming on a Saturday night. It was five o'clock was. Um, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour, 6 o'clock was AWA, and 7 o'clock was Hockey Night in Canada. And I remember going to, to Grandma and Grandpa's house and watching those. So what was your experience, I don't even know, even as a kid or whatever, of your parents, more specifically your mother, being a wrestling fan? How far back did that go? Well, I went back down. It goes Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, that was our biggest thing. Yeah. I remember I told you my dad had bought it, got a TV, he couldn't afford to pay for it, so he had a box on the side of the TV where you had to put a quarter in to run the TV. So everybody came from the neighborhood with bottles <laughs> and quarters, and the whole thing was to watch Hockey Night in Canada. But the mm-hmm. hour before that from Maple Leaf Garden was Whipper Billy Watson and the midget Skylo Low and all those guys and Lord Athel Layton, and we watched that first hour. Don't ever say anything about wrestling because my mother would tell people to leave the house. 
you know, she just said, you guys get out of my house. Well, it's not get out of the house. And she was real about it. <laughs> so you were by osmosis seeing all that stuff. Then at 12, you were given tickets by your aunts to go to the Winnipeg arena to watch wrestling. And that just clicked to you like you wouldn't believe. You became, it was your mind at that time was entertainment, obviously, imagination, unbelievable. Your size wasn't tremendous, but the whole atmosphere, the Winnipeg arena, the crowd, the noise, the size of the wrestlers, you were just enthralled by it. Then you took some of your buddies and you were cheeky. So you'd be mouthing off to Scott Hall, uh, Scott Hall, Haystack Calhoun, give him the finger and the thumb and everything else. And the guy says, you can't do that, Chris. You were right into it. So, and then you started in the basement of the house. But it, yeah, it started my, with my mom, don't mess with Saturday night wrestling. We got the hockey, but don't mess with Maple Leaf Gardens. We took her to wrestling at the Winnipeg Auditorium. At that time, the midgets was there. She had to leave. She, it was too violent. And she couldn't watch it, but yet she watched it on TV. <laughs> oh, so really? Where you did, she wouldn't be able to watch it. Mm -hmm. She scolded you. It's too painful for her. It's funny because I remember um, that she hated Jesse the Body Ventura, and I obviously wouldn't go against what my grandma said, so I you know, pretended not to like him too, but I loved him. I thought he was great. I, just, I remember that he had that jewel in the, in the crease of his chin, and I used to think that was the coolest thing, and I remember she's like, that, that jerk, Jesse Ventura, <laughs> and I was just super enthralled with him, but I think that's kind of where it all started. One of the highlights was we had the old-time hockey. We raised a lot of money, and one of the groups is Rainbow Society. We played the Holiday on Ice uh, movie stars, and one of my teammates was Billy Goldsworthy. His best friend was Jesse the Body. Jesse the Body came up to play with the Hollywood on Ice after the first period. We were down 7 nothing, he, and we were drinking beer in the dressing room. He came and drank beer with us. He couldn't stand up. He said, can I play with you guys? at sure. After I went to him, I said, would you mind talking to my son? And I always meant you came in with two buddies to the hotel, and Jesse took the time, and you had your sleeves rolled up the old days like muscles. <laughs> <laughs> and he sat down with you, and he was so kind. And he said the greatest thing he ever could have said to you, be ready for a life of pain and get your education. And that turned your schooling around, I thought, anyhow. But I'll never forget, again, one of those people put in life that spent the time with you. You know, they could have been smart. Oh, who are you type thing? No, they give you advice that you took. Well, it's funny because I remember that day. It was, it was uh, I think, about 1988 or so, and I was walking downtown. I had just gone to the record store, and I remember just walking down the street and, and passing me because Jesse used to wear this this white leather jacket with tons of tassels on it. He wore it on, on Saturday night's main event, and he walked past me. I was like, holy shit, that's Jesse, Jesse the body. And I'll never forget because I literally turned around and went and started walking beside him. And he did something that I would never do. Like, I would be, like, friendly but almost dismissive. But he talked to me for about five, ten minutes. And then I said, yeah, well, my dad's playing in that game. And, he's, and, and then, you know, like you said, go talk to my son or he, come talk to me later. And we did end up sitting there talking to him for about two hours. He told us so many great stories about the Predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger and being in the dungeon and, you know, Saturday Night's Main Event, Under the Giant. And I remember thinking, like, this guy's really cool. And he said, like, like you said, go get your education, get ready for a world of pain. But he spent two, three hours in the corner with us to the point I even remembered that interview and transcribed it for the Red River uh, Projector, which was the newspaper for, for my college. So I got my exclusive Jess of the Body intro, even though he didn't know it. <laughs> well, I was really appreciative. He didn't offer you a beer at all. I know, right? I was almost 18, which I could have handled one. But 
Um, so you mentioned about how you always knew that I'd be a wrestler. Because I remember we used to watch wrestling uh, at your office. We'd rent the, the, the videotapes and get some Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and watch the latest Coliseum video uh, releases. Well, I, see, I didn't know what you were doing, how much of a student you were. I knew you were watching stuff. Yeah, I remember that day because above a shortstop's store in Winnipeg, and you had me over your head, and the owner came up and said, what's all the noise up here? Yeah, we were wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I had to tell my son to put me down because you <laughs> learned a new move in that. And, uh, yeah, so uh, for me, it was – those early days where you thought and what you, I remember the first boat at Garden City when I went and they were trying you out and all of a sudden they came to me and said, we're going to use your son again. It was all TV taping. And, and you're good. Bulldog Bob Brown and Carrie Brown. And I always remember again, learning about you. Uh, he left the ring and said something. Bulldog said something smart to your mom. Your boy's a piece of whatever it is. And my buddy, big Pete put his arm up and said, get the hell out of here. Well, I got a huge pop. Next day in the house, you sat me down at the, at the kitchen table and said, Dad, you can't come anymore. I said, why? Is you can't get involved with the fans. It's our job to get them riled up. And you were scolding me. And I always remember sitting there. You were yapping at me at 17, 18. And I told Big Pete, I just got heck from my son. I can't go to wrestling anymore. Then I realized, no, you've always had this vision. It's about the fans. And you learned about them. Let them do their things. And that was uh, why would I remember that? I because I'm intrigued by why would you you took it seriously? It wasn't oh thanks a lot, Dad. Wasn't that a great boat? No, you shut your mouth. Let the fans enjoy them. Well, it was embarrassing because you stood up like you're going to fight Bulldog Bob Brown. I'm just sitting there like ah, it's a show. Oh, you're killing it. People are going to want to see Teddy Irvin versus Bulldog Bob Brown, not me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that started to give me. Then I believe. Then I learned hey, you really believe what you're doing is right. You had that passion, eh? So when I leave things, I'm analytical. I for years I've, yeah, I think I really believe what he's doing, and that made me feel good. Let's talk about how I told you that I really wanted to pursue wrestling. What your thoughts were, but before you tell us what you remember, let me remind you about something that's on my Christmas list: Omaha Steaks. And you taught me how to cook a good steak, Dad. No doubt about that. And remember, it's not too late to order in time for Christmas. I'm just saying. This is perfect and delicious gift. I'm giving uh, so many of my gift lists, hoping for some in return. Believe me that. Right now, you can get a mouth-watering steakhouse caliber package at an exclusive price. It's the Deluxe Grillers Assortment. And for $129.99, you get four famously fork-tender butcher's cut filet mignons, eight boneless chicken breasts, four ultra-juicy Omaha steak burgers. I love those. Four gourmet jumbo franks. I really got into these franks. I like uh, cooking them until they're black. They just taste uh, tremendous. Like I said, they're gourmet. Four individually wrapped scalloped potatoes you'll get. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. And this package also comes with a free digital meat thermometer and four free Omaha Steaks burgers. So you get uh, eight of those bad boys. So go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code Jericho in the search bar. Order the Deluxe Grillers Assortment. Stay home this holiday. Send unforgettable gifts and eat great with the best steak of your life guaranteed. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type Jericho in the search bar and order today. You're not going to regret it. So let me ask you this. So, so let's talk about when, how did I approach you to tell you that I really wanted to be in wrestling? And Because I remember the first, we, we tried to look around town to try and find a wrestling school and that sort of thing. So kind of talk about that. Well, 
Again, I've always said to you, I don't believe in spoiling people's dreams. If you want to try something, go for it if you believe in it. <laughs> After you destroyed our house so many times and the, and the roof downstairs by jumping up and hitting the roof of the boys, I knew you were, you were into this, but it was your entertainment and your mind. You, you had a different mind. And you started pushing weights, and you weren't afraid to say anything. And you just said to me one day, he said, Dad, I want to give this a try. And that's when we said, okay, let's scout it out. And it turned out the Heart Foundation School popped up. But before that, though, before we, we went and talked to, like, Bob Holiday, and we talked to Tony Candelo. You remember that? Yeah. Well, again, you're right there. That's my mind. I've got it written down. Yeah, those guys were in it. Doc Holiday first. He was going up north, and he was taking – Bern Von Raschke, and who was the school teacher? Was it Catfish somebody? Catfish Charlie. Yeah. And I said, Doc, I said, take Chris along, let him do the rings. And he says, okay. And you guys went up north. And I always remember you were gone, and uh, I remember all of a sudden you're in Steinbach, Manitoba, going to um, Mennonite or Hutter Wright Museums with uh, Baron Von Raschke and Catfish. And I said, these are pretty good guys taking my son all along. <laughs> so that started it. You were with those guys. You were working, and that started. And then when Tony came along, it was – I think you had more of a push with Tony than I did because of the guys you were wrestling that day. But Doc was the first one that was the guy that you traveled in. You didn't live in the greatest conditions nor the greatest arenas, but you sur survived up there. So after that, I talked to Doc and because he was still involved with the wrestling here in Winnipeg. He was the local promoter. He was like the local representative for the WWE. Yeah. And uh, again, you confirmed to me that you put your time in and you still wanted to do it. You had many chances just to back up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. So then – Locally, you started doing those boats, and I remember being in those. No, 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 I wasn't doing those boats yet because I hadn't trained yet. We, I hadn't trained. I, we, I was trying to find a place to train. But after the train, you came back to Winnipeg and you were doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We drive up to, I remember because we were late. Slow, slow down, slow, slow, slow down a bit. There's a couple of funny things here. So, Doc Holiday ran his own tour of, of, of the northern areas of Manitoba, the Indian reservations, and that sort of thing. And he was the local promoter for the WWE, so he always had an in. And I remember, like, you know, he, even when before WWF, it was AWA, and you got me Blackjack Lanza's autograph and Stanley Blackburn's autograph and that sort of thing. So to go up north with Bob Holiday as the ring crew guy was quite the eye opener. And I remember I was with a bunch of guys, they, like, uh, they, they called me Pretty Fur. And one guy was called Man Mountain Mike, and he weighed about. 200 pounds, he used to weigh 350. He was like this, just this bag of bones, and he was calling me pretty fur. And I remember thinking, I'll kick the shit out of you right now, you fat you know? But I was, I was cool, and Catfish Charlie kind of took me under his wing, and he was my roommate. He was a super nice guy, didn't drink, didn't smoke, and he's the guy that filled, fill, filled me in that wrestling wasn't real. And I'll never forget that, like when he told me that, you know, whoever really wins doesn't really win, it's just what the promoter wants. And I remember saying, okay, okay, but the championship matches, those are real. Like when Hulk Hogan wins, he's really the champion, right? And Catfish Char was like, no, it doesn't work that way. And I remember just being like, oh, no. Yeah. So that was kind of the experience of getting, of getting the taste of, of what it was like just to be on that tour. And I could tell 100 stories just about that alone. But then that was where like, I really want to get into this. And, and Bob didn't have a school. And I remember you called Tony. And I remember he was kind of uh, – 
he was kind of rude to you or something like that, where it's like kind of standoffish and all that sort of stuff. And then I started watching Stampede Wrestling where they had a school and there was an address on there where you could write a letter to. And I wrote, you know, and that's kind of where all that started. So then you and I decided to take a drive in 1989, the year before I was going to go just to check out, you know, the illustrious Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp. And that was it. I remember we left Winnipeg late because you were either at a concert or something. So we didn't get on the road to that night. So we drove a little bit. The Moose and I think, and we stayed that night. And then we jumped in the car. We got up to, uh, I believe it was uh, the ring. Was the ring in Okotoks? No, it was. It was at the. Uh, no, it was at Okotoks. It was just a tryout type thing. It was just you and me and two guys. Uh, one of the Hart boys, Keith Hart. Keith Hart. They walked you in the ring and said right away, "Get in the ring, fall backwards." That's what I remember. Really? Yes. And I'm watching. And I'm saying to them, how did he fall? How did he fall? Well, he's got to put his arms over a little better. Keep your head up, son. And I'm going, I'm really into us. And I realize after, I don't know if these guys know what the hell they're doing. So <laughs> then I watched them, and they did some more stuff. And uh, and I thought it was like you were drafted number one in the NHL. They wanted you so bad. And I realized it was their business. They were going to say anything to Of course. <laughs> well, the best part was it's like we're driving to Calgary because when you watch, you know, uh, Stampede Wrestling, and all we ever heard about was the Heart Dungeon. I remember Jesse told me, be, be prepared to live every day in pain in the Heart Dungeon. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So I was expecting like this kind of big training center with, you know, I don't know, drills and rings, kind of what the, the WWE Performance Center has now, or, or, or uh, QT Marshall's Wrestling School in Atlanta for AW, like where well, it's, it's an actual thing. So we drive to Calgary, and the address uh, was not Calgary, it was Okotoks, which at the time was like, Okotoks, that's a funny named place. But the only reason why we knew it is that Auntie Georgette's sister Paula lived in Okotoks. Remember that? So, so we're driving to Calgary and then Okotoks about 30 minutes south. And I remember we're looking for this address and there's no GPSs back then. It's a map and you're looking on the road and you see like, well, there's just a gas station here. Where's the heart dungeon? Where's this giant complex that's uh, going to be housing, you know, all of these tremendous world-class athletes. And I remember we pulled in, it was a fast gas and Lenny used to actually work there. And, and it's like, do you know where the Hart brothers camp say it's right behind. And we go outside and it's basically just a shed, like a little bit bigger than a shed and open up the shed. And remember it was like the ring was there. And I remember there's a bunch of like stampede wrestling, not even posters from the, from the Calgary sun, like if they got one page photos, those were on the wall and it was dark and it was sweaty. And that's where we met Keith Hart. He was in there. Now, one of you, had, did you have the cowboy boots on or did yeah. you have the cowboy boots I think I was wearing a super tight shirt and cowboy boots on just to try and look a little bit taller and a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah. Then we said, okay, let's give it a try. But the Hotel Hilton Okotoks, it was so old, the fire escape was a rope out the window. Yeah, I think you just said Hilton. It wasn't the Hilton. It was the Willingdon. Uh, just being facetious. Yeah, yeah, the Willie for short. Yeah, that's where I, when I went in there, and that's where I stayed. I remember it was four hundred bucks for a month, and like what a bargain that was. Uh, no phones in the room, just a pay phone in the hallway, and uh, your room had a bathroom in it, and um, that was about it, and a sink. And I remember when I walked in, there was bullet holes in the window. 
of this hotel. But but I was so I was I couldn't tell your mom what a beautiful restaurant they had there for you. You had that old steamer trunk, and on top of it, you had a, a propane fire thing that you're eating your craft dinner on. I walked over <laughs> and cried. I said, I can't tell your mom this is where you're eating at. I, remember, I used to take you and Lenny and a couple of other guys, let's go for a meal. My God, you guys wolfed down steak and eggs. <laughs> So, yeah, so the, ne- the next year is when I drove out there to Okotoks to the school. And I remember I had that 76 Volari, which was, uh, it was, it was the color, it was rust colored. I think there might've been some green in there somewhere. And I remember like you, you said, okay, when you're going to go, when you drive there, you said, if you, if you start falling asleep, pull over on the side of the highway, which I still do to this day. And you said, if you miss a turnoff, don't like, speed over just don't worry about it go to the next one drive around and come back because you don't want to get in an accident on the highway so that was the rules that that i that 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 i had and i, I remember too like i had a five thousand dollar bond that i cashed and i paid for my wrestling school out of that which was about three grand or two grand and the rest is what i had to live off of and then you also gave me a shell card where i could buy gas or whatever food was available burritos and Twinkies and all that sort of stuff. But that was it. Like, it wasn't like I had, like, you know, a lot of money or whatever it was, because I don't think we had a lot of money really to give. You know what I mean? So it was better than nothing, but it wasn't really a lot. It's like, here's your three grand or your 2,500. Here's the credit card and go make your fame and fortune, kid. Now, that Volari was a real chick magnet because the windows didn't, the one didn't come up, I don't think, or it wasn't a window. We were crying in the park in our house driveway when you left. You had a bucket of chicken beside you, I think. There you went. I remember over the years, you were really daring because you're driving on the Harry, the highway so much. You went and bought those deer whistles for your bumper so you wouldn't hit a deer. And I, oh, wow. You're really living, man. <laughs> well, it's because I did hit a deer the first time um, that I was driving. We, we can talk about the Palcos. The first time I was driving to their house because they lived outside of Okotoks, I did hit a deer. And I had to go get a, I remember I had to go to the junkyard to buy a, a quarter panel for the dented up uh, deer that I had, deer, deer panel. So then I had a rust bucket green car with a white quarter panel that I then spray painted green. So, so the chick magnet got even more plenty then. And then you drove guys home in the wintertime with the windows open. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, the first time I came back for Christmas, Warren Rumpel rolled down the, the window to smoke a cigarette and it broke. So then I had to prop it up with cardboard driving home and every couple of miles I'd have to pull over and pull the window back up. And then it broke down in Mooseman and I was stuck there for three days. <laughs> and I was like, Mooseman's only like three hours away. I should have just called you to come pick me up while they fixed my car. Remember the wheel bearings had blown. <laughs> what does that even mean? What's a wheel bearing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you came to visit me at the Hart Brothers Wrestling School. More great stories there. And we'll share some of those after I say thank you to my fellow rock and rollers. And uh, great talk is Jericho sponsor Geico. They just sponsored this special ACDC episode that came out on Monday. If you haven't heard it, go back and check it out. It's one of my favorite episodes ever in talk is Jericho history. Uh, Angus and Brian were hilarious, believe me. But Geico made that possible. And remember, uh, if you own or rent your home, it can be hard work. But you know what's easy is bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. And it's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. 
So let's talk about, you know, when, when we're, we're laughing about being in the Willy. Uh, actually, let's not jump ahead to that. So, so you did come and visit me at the school. And what did you think? What are your memories and recollections of going to the, to the Hart Brothers camp and seeing us training? Well, after I met the 15 other people that were there, I was so thankful Lance was there because, again, that dedication of all the people, Lance from down east, so serious. You two guys hit it off. But you, if you didn't have each other, I don't know how further you would have gone because yeah. you lived the, lived the whole thing. So I was comfortable that I knew you had somebody that you could mentor with all the time. Well, then I went to the Silver Dollar Saloon. Frank Sissons, I think he was there. Frank Sissons, yeah. And I watched how they trained and everything else. And you could see right away there was a difference between you and Lance. And there was one other person there that had some potential. Like, and the other guys were there trying, but some of them were quitters and couldn't do it. It was painful. I mean, I watched they did those stretching exercise on you guys. I thought, this is illegal. This is adult abuse. Is they tried to rip your groins right apart. And I, never, I don't know if anybody ever did it at another school. And then you'd try your moves and everything else. So I was quite comfortable coming there. I knew you guys weren't eating great, so that was fine. But again, I lived your your, your dream, your passion. So I, I was able to say, okay, I understand what you guys are doing, what you're after. And then you got, you know, you could see you guys started sooner than any other guys that you had potential to go somewhere. Then the other people started. You had one girl there, I think, uh, at the whole. Yeah. yeah. And so I admire everybody being there. It wasn't easy. Now, let me ask you this. Who else do you remember being there? Any of the other students that you recall? You know, my favorite. Who's that? Wolfman. <laughs> yeah, Wolf. Yeah, Wolfman Wolf. Yeah. And there was one big guy. And him and Wolf, they were supposed to go underneath their legs. And they couldn't remember. And they'd run into each other. One forget the jump. The other forget the jump. Um, now I can't remember a lot of the other guys. Who else was there? Well, w w Wilf had a kind of a wonky eye, so whenever he ran the ropes, he ran the ropes on an angle. And, but I remember this. It, it's funny because you talk about Lance and Chris making it, and there's one other guy that had some matches who who I'll remind you of in a second. But all Wilf wanted to do was do jobs for WWE. That was his goal. And there was a TV taping like in Saskatoon or something where Wilf actually had a, a squash match, or at least was booked on the show. So he. He, uh, he lived up to his goal. How about this? Dr. Love. Oh, you're kidding. Do you remember him? No, I don't. I remember Titan, but he was there as a wrestler after. He wasn't. Yeah, no, Vic, Vic. Remember Vic DeWild? <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell us about him. I can't, and I can't remember the other. I just can't remember, but for some reason, you guys stood out more than anybody else. He, he was a little guy that looked kind of like Andy Kaufman from Taxi. And he was he was called Doctor Love, and you always got a kick out of Doctor Love because he was just a little a uh, little guy that made the natural transition from pro archery into wrestling, and he considered himself to be a little bit of a ladies' man. And I remember you always you always liked the Wolf Man. He always liked Doctor Love. How's Doctor Love doing? Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, no, I admire I admire anybody. It's like going to anything like well any kind of sporting camp, right? You may not be the guy who gets picked, but you still got to compete. So when, when you saw the camp itself, did you did you think like, okay, this is a pretty pretty cool, like this is solid, This is, he's going to get his money's worth here? Or, or, or? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, because again, I was there for hours watching you guys, and I couldn't figure out, what are they doing? Because I think you guys, for a while, you guys were running your own camp. <laughs> 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 you got, you and Lance, uh, you know, you, you know, Lance should have got paid some money for instructing in that. And, uh, but again, you guys never 
stop talking or moving around. Let's try this. Because some of the, the one at the Silver Dollar, there was more junk in the training room. than uh, There was tables all over the place because it was a bowling alley, was it not? <laughs> it was a bowl. It was, yeah, it was a bowling alley casino. And that was kind of the back room where if you stood on the top rope, it was like our house. When I used to jump off the bar onto Wallace when we were, when we were wrestling, if you jumped off the top rope here, you could put your head through the roof. And that's how I learned how to stand on the top rope. I started losing my balance. I just reached my arms up and touched the roof. And that would give me my, my balance back. Yeah, yeah. No, you had long days, and I'm so thankful the families were up there because uh, money was tight, and you ended up painting fences on a farm and uh, with the Pelco and became lifelong friends. And, you know, you had people you could talk to up there. So I was comfortable in the surroundings that you could reach out to somebody because I've always said you need somebody else in life to go talk to. And those are pretty solid people that you could talk to. Yeah, that must have made you feel pretty, pretty happy when I hooked up with the Palcos, who were a family that took in a lot of foster kids. And uh, they had the connection with the aforementioned Paula, who was my aunt's sister. And so they hooked me up to, to, to paint the fence to make some extra cash once wrestling school was over. And I thought it was just going to be like, you know, an old lady's picket fence. But instead, it was like the great fence of China. This thing, they had about 50 acres on their farm and it went all the way down. And I was like, I'm never going to finish this. And after about three months, I just gave up. And at that point, I'd already we already had struck up a connection to where they actually let me stay there for the grand sum of $10 a day room and board. Yeah, and that was upstairs in the attic, I think, because I came to see you there. And I couldn't find you. I thought you were in a, living in a lighthouse. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't in the attic, but it was the upstairs bedroom. It was, it was, it was right next to the attic. My, my closet door was the attic, actually. Again, confirming that you wanted this thing because the boats didn't come quickly. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so you know, it wasn't a lot of work. You guys did a lot of crazy things, driving to different places to work and not getting paid and uh, – but you had each other. All right. When we looked for our new home, my family and I imagined ourselves in every space. Do we want to relax in that backyard? Can I use that shower every day? We wanted to know that the house fit us as a family. But there's more to it than that. Getting a mortgage is a necessary part of the home buying process for many, but it doesn't have to be a hassle. Rocket Mortgage gives you the tools you need to understand all the options and purchase with certainty. Rocket Mortgage built a home loan experience designed for you with certainty at every step and no unwanted surprises. You can relax knowing you're getting a home loan that fits your life. With industry-leading technology, Rocket Mortgage not only offers 24-7 access to your loan info, but also tools, information, and expertise to help your offer compete in a crowded market. You're on the go. They get it. That's why Rocket Mortgage makes the home loan process happen on your schedule. Plus, they offer a paperless approval process that you can complete right on your phone. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Jericho because when you need a mortgage that fits your life, Rocket can. Call for cost information and conditions, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So let me ask you this. You mentioned the Winnipeg trip, um, which is probably the first time you saw me have a pro match. Uh, and there was Carrie Brown and Bob Brown. Do you remember the first the first pro match I ever had in Winnipeg? Who it was? It was on that same day because I worked three times. The show was like at the Garden City, the Diamond Club, I think it was called, like you said. And my first match was against uh, Captain Jones. Captain Jones. And he was frightening. <laughs> 
he had to run around the shower to get wet. But he was all dressed up. And when we got him with you, you guys were going to work hard because that's what you believed in. He wanted out of there so bad. <laughs> he looked like a school teacher that was just getting a weekend gig, you know. But he had the outfit. He looked good. And then your buddies were all there. They made it a fun night. I'm sure they set the record for beer sales. And then they said, we're going to use you again. You're going to use you again. And and then the last bout was real. I mean, you're going against uh, – in fact, I was just looking up Bulldog Ball Ground. He was actually born in Shoal Lake, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And a uh, little bit of a football player. But they mentioned you and uh, Don and uh, Lance, the guys he wrestled against. He ended up in Kansas City. But for us in Canada, he was legit. Yeah, I remember that night afterwards because it was, it, was, uh, it was against Kerry Brown. I think Bob was obviously involved – but I remember Carrie was like, well, let's get some juice on the kid, uh, which I knew from wrestling. So basically wanted me to, to get some blood. And I, I just imagine the riot that would have happened if they would have cut me open in front of all you guys. It would have been brutal. But that's what he wanted. Like, as a true heel, that's what you do. Cut open the young guy and build up for, you know, the big return match eight months later or whatever it would have been, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then you did some TV uh promos also i remember i can't remember it was at garden city or somewhere else and they were who was the radio announcer was huge wrestling fan and he very uptight yes and he after it came he said wow this is exciting you know so then i knew these guys were around a little bit he just loved watching you but then he did those promos and that's also impressed me where would you get that a lot of it's off the top of your head but i think it was in buffalo that i'm getting down the road where i came to, to, to see you you did 15 promos in a row, mm. just rattled them right off. And I said, how do you do that? There was no cut. Let's do that again. Different cities, different thought process. And I always remember, it's got to come from somewhere. So all that stuff you did in Winnipeg starting off, obviously, you worked on it, worked on it, and made it to perfection. I always, how come you can't screw up on that stuff? Maybe you did. I never saw it that day. Well, it's funny because you just back then there. That's how you just did promos. There, there, there was no scripting or, or writing anything down. You just did. I remember the, the very first promo I ever did was was uh, in in Calgary. There was like a big a big night at CNWA, the, the wrestling company that still ran out of Frank Sisson's bowling alley at the time. The remnants of Stampede and Bulldog Bob Brown was the booker. He was the booker everywhere. He was the booker in Winnipeg. He was the booker in Calgary, and he didn't like me, but. Um, he said, you know, we want you to do this promo about your match next week. Uh, it's a big card. We're bringing in the midgets, so make sure you mention the midgets. And I remember I was driving there, and there was um, the new David Lee Roth album was coming out. It was called A Little In Enough. And the whole hour was like a David Lee Roth, you know, promoting this record. And he would do interviews, and they'd play songs and stuff. And I remember they said something, and he goes, you know, there's a fine line between a pat in the back and a kick in the pants. So let's dance. And... You know, David Lee Roth can say that shit and get away with it because he's David Lee Roth and it's awesome. But I showed up there and I was like, I'm going to use this line. And the guy's name was Mike something or other. Mike Davis, I think his name was or whatever. And he goes, uh, you know, so you got the big match next week. Uh, What do you think, Chris? I said, well, you know what, Mike? There's a fine line between a pat in the back and the kick in the pants. So let's dance. And he kind of just stared at me. And I remember just staring back going, I got nothing else. And the midgets are coming. <laughs> Make sure you be there. Why come see the midgets? <laughs> and that what was important that Calgary, the the Stampede, that was pretty popular at West. Oh yeah, big time. Frank did a pretty good job on that whole thing, and uh, so you, your name in there, you were starting to be recognized. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, the problem was is that Stampede Wrestling closed six months before I went to training. I remember it closed in about the Christmas of 89. Like, I just missed it by that much. So, like I said, they picked up the pieces, and that CNWA was on TSN across Canada. Right. And I actually made it on a couple of weeks, one against Brett Como and uh, another match. I can't remember. But I was on two or three times with Ed Whalen uh, commentating. I remember I took a little clip of his where he goes, I like that Jericho kid. And that was kind of the beginning of my highlight tape that I made back in those days. Well, did Ed do the Calgary Flames uh, broadcast? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's right, too. Yeah, he was very he was very kind to you. Yeah, very, very famous in Calgary and kind of the, the voice of wrestling for that local, you know, that local crowd. But, you know, guys, all that. And so you started there and you're doing this and that. When you did get to the wrestling, some of those boats I went with the guys you met and talked about to Winkler, to Portage, to Morris. They were some of the hardest working boats I've seen in wrestling. You had some crew of guys who were going to do anything because you all wanted to make it somewhere. And I remember the one in Morris, and I think Rick Martell came in for mm -hmm. that. And who's the little Japanese guys? It was a oh. Ultimo Dragon. And I watched that boat, and you had that, was it Timothy Flowers ahead? He was mm -hmm. whacking people with a stick there. He was nuts that night. Mm -hmm. I sat there, and now if I look back, that was more entertainment. It was like the old. Uh, some games aren't great in the National Hall. This was entertainment. And people were running scared. I remember the dress room. I remember, I remember, I always remember the phrase cheap pop because you introduced me to Ultimo and he just, they all bowed to you, the Japanese guy. And they're bowing to me, bowing to me. And you said hockey. And he, he bowed to me and he, you said to me, take your teeth out, Dad. And I took my teeth out and he, oh, hockey, hockey, hockey. To this day, <laughs> if I go to, when I went to Japan, oh, I take my teeth out and you go, cheap <laughs> What a party trick. <laughs> I remember it, it, it with Don and Lance out in Portage Prairie with the pig in the ring. And you guys, I mean, everybody at that time, all the guys wanted to be there. So they were, I thought, worked very hard. Did they have the staying power? I don't think so. But for a price for that night, it was a pretty darn good show. Well, Donald, I'll tell you right now that that lineup is one of the best. It's a lineup that I think people don't even realize existed in 95 because it was Chris, Lance, Ultimo Dragon, Bad News Allen, Rick Mortel, Jerry Morrow, Johnny Smith. Uh, uh, Edge was there as Sexton Hardcastle. Christian was there as the male nurse. Uh, Lenny was there. Flowers. I mean, you had this lineup of these guys. You know, there's four or five Hall of Famers right there and probably 10 Canadian Hall of Famers. And here's the best part. When they filmed it, I don't know what kind of a camera they were using. Somebody forgot to flip the switch from, from black and white to color. And two of the cameras were in color, and one of them was in black and white, and it was the hard camera, main camera shot, so they could never use it. So they were basically lost forever. I remember how angry Don was. He's like, I can't believe it. They turned it on black and white. So uh, What was Bad News Allen famous for? What was he famous for? His dress code. What did he do? What, he just wore leather all the time? Red shoes. <laughs> yeah. Red shoes, a red leather jacket, red pants, and a red kind of... Uh, flat top African style cap that he used to wear. They were, like you say, they were dynamite names, but the guys wanted it and they worked hard for it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So well, there was, was there quite a gap there between, you know, those days in 95. Cause then I went to, you know, Japan and, and, and Mexico and ECW and all that sort of stuff, Smoky Mountain. So I think probably the next time that you maybe did see me wrestle live, was that show that we did in Buffalo for WCW? Was there anything in between that that you can remember? Uh, I, I've got a. I know I've been down to Grand Forks in that area there. But I don't yeah. know. 
were down. But WCW days, though. Yeah. No, I, I think Buffalo might have been the one. Buffalo's the one that brought me down, and uh, you decided to, to use me. You, you're at that time, there was conspiracy theory going on. And you wanted me to come out in the ring and honor the uh, French Connection line of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, uh, Perot and those guys. And the guys all said, your dad's going to freeze like a deer in the headlights. So you give me a couple of lines. So I went over the corner and I started talking up and down, up and down. You know, and you'd come over, tell me what you're saying, dad. I told him, no, 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 you say this. So I go back in the corner again, walking up and down, up and down. And it's getting, and everybody's leaving me alone. Good luck, Mr. Irwin. And I know it was at the back of the ring I had to come out of. And now I have to come out and the crowd and the lights and you're falling down. It's conspiracy, dad. And I say what I have to say. I remember walking out of there. And everybody was so good to me. Way to go, Mr. Irwin. You did it. You did it. I headed right upstairs, had a beer. I was an adrenaline rush, and I did it. But I was so intimidated because you kept correcting me. Don't say it that way. Say it this way. Don't say because you were so detailed and everything else. But I remember that night. I said I was part of something there, and I didn't screw it up. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't everybody that was saying it was Bischoff that was saying you're probably going to screw the bed. From what I remember, what you're saying could have been. Yeah. And once again, th- th- this is no. There's no rehearsal of this. There's no script writing. It's just we had you were there. You're coming down. I think I mentioned that you were there, and Terry Taylor was like, "Yeah, let's have him do something." But have you kind of? I was the heel. You'd be the big baby face and bury me. And you were the one who came up with the French Connection stuff. I never said a word of, about any of that, as far as I recall. I remember you just saying, "Look at this out here." The the the, the, the line, Timmy Horton, uh, you know, R- R- Gilbert Perot. These are guys I played with. These guys were true true athletes and true winners, not like you. Not like you, Chris. You're embarrassing me or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, and then I capitalized on, don't you ever come home? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then Terry Taylor wanted to bring you back again over the, over the ensuing weeks to be like my enforcer with a hockey stick. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. My dad's not coming to hit people over the head with hockey sticks to help me win matches. I'm like, really? You don't want to do that? I'm like, no. So I cut your wrestling career short, Dad. We went and got a Ralphus. <laughs> <laughs> Replaced by Ralphus. The other thing I always, the calls I used to get as a parent, are you Mr. Irvin? Yes, I am. Well, we're from the California hospital in L.A. or San Francisco. Do you have a boy named Chris? Says, yes. You better get hold of him. His wrist is broken. That's what are you talking about. So you're on the road down there and you're wrestling in some uh, flea market. You broke your wrist. You went for the x-ray. The guys are driving away. So you didn't wait and you jumped in the car. I talked to you about a week later. I said, Chris, how's your wrist? He's why? I said, I got to call. Your wrist is broken. Really? It wasn't my wrist that was broken. It was a, a, bo- a couple bones in my hand. And the reason for that was we were, me and Lazansky and, and Como, we drove to Pomona, California from Calgary for a match in a, fl- in a Mexican flea market. They announced me as Chris Harachico. And the ropes were made of, uh, of uh, literally a rubber hose. Up your nose with a rubber hose. It was made of, of, of garden hose. So when I went to the top rope and jumped off, there was no spring to it. I just, I just landed on my hand and I had to go to the hospital. But I mean, this, this, just like when I broke my arm in, uh, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, I had to go to the hospital then. I got that written down, too, because I knew this was going on because you were practicing in the afternoon. And then I think it was Cornette wanted to drive a truck over your arm or something like that during the match. <laughs> <laughs> to make it real. 
<laughs> what are you thinking of this stuff at this point? I mean, you, I mean, here's the thing. And somebody asked me about this yesterday is that I think one of the reasons why that you kind of supported my decision to go into wrestling is because you had done the same of going into hockey at a very young age and probably had the same amount of people saying to you, oh, you'll never make it or whatever. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But d- did you kind of always appreciate that because you had been through it yourself as well? Oh, definitely. I would never doubt what you're doing because I'm, yeah, I left when I was 19, same as you. To live away from home was unheard of. And, uh, and people always doubted what a career. It wasn't so much even with you what people say to you. It's how they look at you. Mm-hmm. They you know, what? Is he crazy? He ain't going to make it. They don't have to their body language tell right, you. Right, right, right. And so for me, I remember I was so anxious to get home. They sent me home at Christmas my first year. Harry Sinden was the coach. I was homesick. How embarrassing was that? My first year pro hockey, they sent me home for Christmas because I was homesick. You know? yeah. And then I went back down there. And luckily, I was living with a guy named Joey Watson. And again, the people that I was around – made me stay because it was then that first year I realized, you know what? First year I got back, I was 19. I phoned the guys to see if they're at the Isaac Brock canteen dance. And I phoned Mr. Skinner to say, can I get in after 10 o'clock? I'm home. And when I got there, nobody could care less. <laughs> I realized, nah, we're going different ways. And uh, yeah. So for you to do that stuff, it was injuries that I didn't have control of that bothered me, and I had to let you go through. Those are the most painful things I had. The boat in Vegas when you're wrestling that Japanese guy. Talk about that one. In in Vegas, I remember standing with those wonderful Mexican veteran wrestlers, and you guys dropped, and they said to me, get to the dressing room right away, Mr. Irvin. He could be concussed. You can't help somebody else's pain, and you being my son, I couldn't live it for you. And that right. bothered me. And I remember coming in and the doctors are there and you were so mad. And I'm going, you're mad because, Dad, this is a show. We should have put on a better show. We should have done this. And you were livid because you took ownership of, you know, and I know what happened there. It was just a missed move. And, and, but I remember, I can't live this kid's pain. He's got to live it himself. And that bothered me a lot of times to say I could see you. And I'd phone you sometimes and say, you know, I could tell by your voice. A chop hits you there. I could tell certain things, and I went, "Yeah, he's got to go through it." I can't be saying, "Well, don't do that." You know, mm-hmm. I was, was going to do some rapid-fire questions: thumbtack match or belt match. Which one would you rather have? I mean, <laughs> I was there at the belt match. Which was the belt match? Chris Benoit in Cleveland. Oh, really? What, what, what did we do? Belts. Oh, was it, no, that was Shawn Michaels. The Shawn Michaels. Oh. Is that the night I won the title? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had two matches that night. The first match, he was just whipping me with his belt. Yeah. And Jessica was there, I think, at that time. Yeah. And we're yeah. just and I'm going, ooh, this is And I remember sitting with you after him where you weren't sitting. But all those things. So as an athlete, I recognize I can't be advising you unless you advise, ask me. You just live through that pain. Okay. And that's the things I get a phone call. Uh, Mr. Irvin, uh, it's on the press right now that something's happened to your son out in Victoria with fans. And I got no. Yeah. So you got to just believe I got to talk to you first, you know, what's really going on. So those are the things I wasn't scared the night in Winnipeg where you and Lance wrestled Gene Kaniski when he was 95. 
he walked out and he looked like our our grandpa with a with the baggy underwear on and we actually we actually were his tag team partners and that here's a little bit of trivia that was Gene Kaniski's last match. It was. Yeah, with partners were me and, and, and Lance Storm. And I remember he was sitting there. As, I don't know what it was with these old guys. They would just sit there naked. And Bob Brown used to pay the guys naked. And Dusty Rhodes used to do it too. And, and I remember Gene was sitting there. I, I'm envisioning he was having a smoke. He probably wasn't. But uh, And he, he's, we hear the music and it's like, uh, that's our ring music. He's like, ring music? Never had that before. And he stands up and he's like nine feet tall, pulls up his pants, Takes the last drag, throws to the ground, butts it out, and goes, all right, let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, talking of smoking, Winnipeg Arena, the two game, names came to me. Brock Lesnar was at the Winnipeg Arena when he just came out of University of Minnesota. I remember meeting him outside the dressing room, and I said to you, his back was like a straight V. Yeah. But then you took me over one of those boats, and it was the big show. Yeah. Sit down. And Dad, this is Paul. Hi, Mr. Irvin. He was smoking a cigarette. And he shook your hand, and you just lost it in his hand. And he was smoking a cigarette, and he looked up, and he said, Mr. Irvin, don't smoke. It stunts your growth. And I remember, <laughs> what a neat guy. Then you said to me, don't get caught in this bus, Dad. Remember those guys in their buses? My God, they're 10-star. Yeah, exactly. You also met Vince McMahon. I know you have some stories and thoughts about that. But first, I got some great news to share about my favorite breakfast magic spoon, you can finally build your very own custom variety box. It's true. You can choose the flavors you want in your variety pack. And if that's not enough, Magic Spoon has just added two more scrumptious flavors to the lineup. Now you can choose from the best-selling cocoa, fruity, frosted blueberry. And now there's peanut butter and cinnamon. So you know that blueberry is my favorite uh, Magic Spoon flavor. And my custom variety box would have been all blueberry before. But now there's peanut butter and cinnamon. I got to give them a try and see if I want to add those flavors to my custom box as well. Got to try them all. Uh, I did actually like the cinnamon. That was really, really good. But right now, Blueberry Magic Spoon, still number one for me with cinnamon number two. But if you give any of the Magic Spoon flavors a try, I'm sure cereal will be your number one breakfast choice as well because Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, GMO-free, and low-carb. Tastes absolutely amazing. Honestly, just go to magicspoon.com slash Jericho to build your own custom variety box and try it together. And be sure to use my promo code Jericho at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident that you'll uh, love their product as much as I do that they'll back it with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Give it a try. Have a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal to start your day. It's so delicious. Go to magicspoon.com slash Jericho. Use the promo code Jericho for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring Talk is Jericho and being the breakfast of Le Champion. Did you ever meet Vince? Sure, quite a few times. I remember you used to say to me, how could you go talk to Vince? Vince has always been very kind to me. He always asks about you, yeah. Yeah, he always, when he came in, he always was strutting and he was always dressed well. And I, he's the guy who gave me the line when I said, how did you survive against Ted Turner? He says, I learned sometimes in life you got to be a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> I'll never forget that phrase. Do you yeah. remember the thing you did, the big boss man in Winnipeg, but they had to bring you in? Well, tell that story. Yeah? Well, I'll, I'll tell the beginning and you tell what actually happened. So um, it was uh, right when I first got there, there happened to be a house show in Winnipeg. And the plan for me was to go in there and I was going to do a big heel promo on my hometown, which is so dumb, but... That was kind of the idea, but problem was that there was a bomb threat at the Miami airport, and the rock got stuck. 
So they put me in his place for the main event of a nightstick on a pole match against the big boss man. You take it from there. So we sat at the back with your mom and that, and we watched. Doc Holliday had told me, they announced, Rock's not here. If you want your money back after the show, call us. I always remember Doc because it was important to him because he got a cut of the tickets in that day. Eh? Right. Hell of a boat, but there's a screw up with the baton there, wherever it was. You, We had to run home and get your gear. Yeah, I had to go, yeah. And then we drove downstairs in the arena, and you did a heck of a job. Fans liked it, and it worked out great. And I don't know what you weighed at that time, but he was a big guy in the ring with all that police gear on or wherever well, it was. Well, he was about six foot six, too. He's tall. Yeah. And I'm so proud of you that after that show, I believe it was that show, I drove you up. We took Kane to the airport. <laughs> he was the back seat. He took up my whole back seat. <laughs> never said two words. I've never so intimidated. We tried to get out of the arena. The fans were yelling and screaming. The next day, Doc called me. He says, only five or ten people wanted their money back. Wow. That was yeah. I thought. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, that was when uh, that was when uh, <laughs> it was a nice stick on a pole match. So the idea is that there's a lot of drama of climbing up the ropes and finally grabbing the nightstick. Problem was, the first time we hit the ropes, the nightstick fell off the pole and landed in the ring. So then we had to work this whole match like Rocky trying to chase the chicken. Like, oh, I'm going to get it. No, we're not going to get it. Well, we're gonna get it. I remember Boston was just laughing. Typical, just old school brother. And thankfully, he was in there. He's like, don't worry about it, kid. He's a really high voice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We got this. <laughs> you know, your adaptability at that age to be able they can't teach you that stuff. You gotta react. And that's yeah. really kept me positive about because you became like, you know, one of the best speakers and wrestler and entertainers and that. But that was a young age. Somewhere in there you had to react. You couldn't Well, there was also that's another reason why I did so good in, in WWE when I finally got there in the face of adversity, because I'd been wrestling for nine years at that point in time. And I'd been, you know, that was 1999. So you're talking nine years in and I'd headlined all over the world. So shit like that happens. You just, you just got to be cool with it, you know? So I think it definitely helped my career that it took me nine years to, to get to WWE. You went to Japan in the early years. I can't remember. You had a tag team part and the one guy couldn't go and you took another guy along. But you used to say to me with the Japanese, they wanted a piece of you guys. Okay. And I get rapid questions. They did kind of like kicking more so at that time and chops. And I always remember saying those kicks hurt more because they were for real. Yeah. I was asked you, how do you stop? And you kind of told me. But then I said, well, what's the Mexican like? What you've learned so many different from you had to adapt. And you just can't walk out and say, oh, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right away to it. And I always remember the kicking. And I remember the last time you kind of taking me to Japan. And I remember looking up in that big screen and you had a big blood coming out of your head. Half your scalp was still on the, on the ramp. That was right early in the match. Play through. Yeah, that's when Naito pile drove me on the uh, on the rampway. And there was a, a quarter-sized bald spot on my head from the hair being pulled away. So, yeah, so what, what, tell, tell us about that, about your, your uh, experience in Japan. It was just... Last year in, in 2019 at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. No, I, uh, well, when I first got there, you'd already arrived. And we went to, uh, it was called the dojo. And I respected so much. You got all these guys working again to try to travel the world, to live their dream. And I'm going, that was Chris, but it was the Okotoko Hotel. Well, that, was, that place there was not too right. But they were so kind and good. But to be able to adapt to different languages, different styles, 
and to be a leader. I said, I, after I said that night, are you going to be able to work with this guy? I said, don't worry, Dad, we're all professionals. And then Paul Lazarby was there. And he was kind enough to show me around all day. But all the wrestling fans were sitting down. And I'd see it on TV. And I said, what are they doing? He said, this is the way they watch wrestling. And I'm going, wow. And then you came out. And I always know it's about the fans. They were scared of you. And I said, Paul, listen to the music. And the music there and the lights were incredible. It was 40, 35, 40,000 people. Then when you walked out, people were just and then when you left there, and people were running away from you. How do you get that kind of magic with people from another world? Okay, and I know they watch you over the years, but you still got to draw them in. And I've written down here, how do you draw fans in when they're not ready to pop? How do you get them into the mood? How do you you have to read the crowd? So that night when you walked in, when I, I, was, well, I was staring around, because I sat in the back. You, you had tickets for me up front, but I always like to sit in the back. And a lot of old, old, yeah. Superstar wrestlers were back there. And I remember you walking down there, and I saw that stunt. And I'm looking at the screen. I said, Paul, am I seeing what I'm seeing? He said, yeah, I think something. And then after I remember saying to you, Chris, can I see your head? <laughs> he said, that I was walking in the ring. And I looked down, there was blood and hair. And you said, that's my hair, and that's my blood. <laughs> Again, you did it all. So the, the atmosphere was. But what I remember even more so, you had a dressing by yourself. People congratulate their honorable and everything else. There's a knock at the door, and two of the biggest sumo wrestlers came in in full gear, and all you guys are bowing to each other and saying, oh, they're not coming in here to take a run out of my son. But respect, two different worlds. And I thought, isn't that good? Guys just respecting each other's industry. And I remember that night, too. But then I remember after leaving and the fans pushing and this and that and everything else, and how you would <laughs> – one guy was really yapping. You just scared him right off. Then we got in an elevator, and a young couple, I think they were just got married, walked in. The girl almost fainted. She had an autograph from you a year before, and you signed her autograph, and she walked backwards off. Oh, Jericho, Jericho. I thought, good for you, pal. You mm. respect the people who are paying some of your salary. So I had lots to me, but I also at that time, unbeknownst, I was listening to part of the negotiation with you and Vince. And... Uh, Oh, wow. Really? I remember that. I remember the ups and downs and this and that's. And, uh, I, don't, I don't recall what, what exactly what happened. What did you hear? Well, that's when you were negotiating. Were you going to stay or go? Oh, wow. And then Vince wasn't being very responsive to you, and that bothered you because you wanted to get some kind of clarification that day. Eh? And at the end, it became a, almost like a gentleman's agreement. Okay, good luck, Chris. Well, thanks, Vince. And I, I remember I said, I thought you guys too. What I heard was you both handle it as professionals and respect, I thought. So mm -hmm. I, I was thankful to be part of that. I could listen, you know. So Right. Yeah, I, I learned a lot of stuff from you over the years from these. <laughs> Naito hit me with that kendo stick so hard in the stomach. It was just like. <gasps> you remember how bruised you were? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we beat the shit out of each other. Cover that up. No, no, no. Got to talk about Madison Square Garden, but uh, we also got to talk about Krista. That's right, Krista. Uh, well, she's first on the list because she's beautiful, she's classy, and she's brilliant. She'll absolutely dazzle you. People can't stop talking about her. I mean, I've been talking about her for weeks now. Uh, Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring, in case you uh, thought I was someone, something else, and she won't let you down. Picture this, a bright white, 100% eye-flawless, near-colorless, high-quality, round, brilliant-cut diamond expertly set into a classic gold solitaire Tiffany setting 
and Krista's available right now. But if you want it for Christmas, you need to get her soon. FedEx, UPS, and the post office are experiencing delays this Christmas. What do you expect? Don't miss out on this magnificent full one-carat round brilliant cut diamond for only $3,198. Remember, real diamond jewelry does not have to be expensive. And you can enjoy free shipping both ways, 12 months interest-free financing, and a 100-day, 100% no-hassle guarantee. You can't go wrong. It's so easy. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love Diamond Engagement Ring or visit Steven's showroom, open by appointment only. Get a yes for Christmas with Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut. Have fun window shopping online with Steven's new voice search and carousel. And for easy online ordering, go to IHateStevenSinger.com. IHateStevenSinger.com. You'll pick up some of the best jewelry you've ever had in your life. Go check it out now. As we start to wind down, let's talk about Madison Square Garden. Obviously, means a lot to you. Uh, you, you, you played there. Um, I remember, it's a funny story I always tell, I remember watching you play, and A, it was way too loud. I had a, a sweater that my grandma had made me, uh, Grandma Mary, that I'd pull over my head because it was too loud, and I was mad because when you were skating down the ice with the puck, you wouldn't look up and wave at me. <laughs> ah, that's very emotional for me because a lot of things happened there. One was I was looking at pictures and I, I got a hat trick that game and you were there in your pink and white sports coat with a white turtleneck. I don't think you wore that since then. It was the newspaper the next day. I guess why I was Madison Square Garden was important to me, Chris, because you brought a lot out of me as an athlete. I don't look as myself. You always say you were there, Dad. Well, we had a time when you were growing and I was just finishing if you went to the garden, people would ask about me. That bothered you, okay? And you say, Dad, people ask about you. It's about me. And I said, Chris, I can't stop that. Eh? But when we got to the garden, I recognized. Do you remember the year I you had no money and I was going to become your manager and I give you a thousand bucks? A year later, you got off the airport and you give me ten one hundreds. You're fired. Here's your money back. That's the year you, you lost my beautiful black leather jacket somewhere. It got stolen. I wore that on the cover of, uh, of Arena magazine in Mexico. I used to wear it as, 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 as a ring outfit, and it got stolen out of my bag one time when I landed in Tokyo. When I opened the bag, it was gone. Yeah, well. Anyhow, so at the garden was important because we now respected. I always We were in this together. Your experience, what I experienced in the garden, very few places in the world other than the garden. Yeah. Well, I remember meeting with you, <laughs> and I had my luggage in the car. I said, let's go, Dad, right now. we got to go through that gate, and I'm going to myself. I've been through that gate a hundred times. There's going to be all kinds of fans there. They're going to try to get autographs. we got to keep on walking. we got 20 feet from the gate to go in, and the and the whole, all the fans just parted. Yeah. And I went, holy God, Chris has really got control of us. And Two guys walked out in front of us. I think they were the president of the Hells Angels, the most beautiful leather jacket. Chuck Zito. Yeah. We walked in and got on the elevator with him, and he just said, that your boy's a good boy. He through the hall. <laughs> I remember that. Then, uh, So the garden itself, I stood back, and I had a beer, and I'd walk around. That was the first time I saw the lighted uh, – some fan made a lighted Y2J, you know, sign that the light bulb's going off. And I said, this is really cool, you know. Then the boats and then being backstage, and you were so proud of me because you told everybody I was part of the New York Rangers history. 
you'll see my dad's picture outside the dress room. He was part of the third period over our third overtime goal he assisted on, and the picture shows my skate with number 27 on it. You can't even see me, and all the guys have said, that's not your dad. I said, yeah, there's number 27, and somebody said he bought some skates. Somebody else bought them. But I remember being in there, and the, the fans were so rabid. And some of the boats, there was a thumbtack. I think that was the night where those guys did what? Three tables. The guys were, it might have been the Hardy Boys, that they went through three tables. It was crazy, the whole mm. thing, eh? And then to be after, you know, I was proud. I was part of it. I could sit in a dressing with you. And the people have always been very good. The wrestling people have been terrific to me. And being in the garden, hey, Teddy Evan, you know. And so that's always been special. The most special night is when I beat the hell out of you in Madison Square Gardens in the Superman, uh, Chris Reeves uh, thing where I put you over. <laughs> I was just going to no, I put you over. I was just going to ask. About, and first of all, I, I never had any resentment or said it's about me. I always thought it was really cool that when I went to the garden, people asked about you. I never I had never thought that was I always thought that was really cool um, because even to this day, people still ask, how, how is your daddy? I went there. Last year, uh, doing press for uh, AEW, that's when I got more airtime than Michael J. Fox because the first time they put my name up on the screen, they said Chris Jericho, WWE superstar. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then, the, so then they showed Michael J. Fox, and then they showed me again and said Chris Jericho, AEW superstar. So I got two scenes. Michael J. Fox got one, but um, but but I remember the the the, the game at the Garden because there was four of them I played in a row. It was called the Christopher Reeves Super Skate, and he was a big hockey fan. So it was like the Rangers versus, you know, celebrities. And the fourth year, they called me to play, and I said, I'll play, but only if you bring my dad in, and you have to put him on the opposite team. So that's kind of where we got. So so pick up from there. I think our coach, you had, we had Timmy Robbins playing on our team. I think Susan Sarandon was your coach. Yeah, she was, yeah. Back and roll on our team. And, and we had our old trainers. And I got a tap on my shoulder in the first period. And they said, uh, Mr. Irvin, uh, your son wants you on the ice. He says, tell him, let me get my legs first. He wants you out. I said, no. Started to think of the second period. I got a tap on the shoulder. And I was wearing my glasses. Okay, tell him I'm coming out there. Well, I remember John Davidson, now uh, president of the New York Rangers, said, uh, oh, oh, Jericho and Irvin, father and son. And it was a very emotional night because we had the police, we had the uh, mil uh, the, uh, the sailors, uh, you know, the firemen, all part of that special game. Eh? I remember going out there, and it was like uh, Gord, Gord Donnelly and Serge Boyan for Quebec. Uh, you want to go? Sure, let's drop. And we dropped the gloves. Well, I've never been so excited in my life. And you ripped off your shirt. And John Davis had said, Ted, over 15,000 people, Ted, leave your shirt on. Yeah. And we had a heck of a scrap. And the bench is just cleared. And the emotion was so good. We had all those movie stars and politicians playing after. So we went and I scored a beautiful goal. And I was named star of the game. Yeah, you were. Daniel. Son of a bitch. I left the ring. I left the ice soon. It was emotional for me. Because the picture of you and Mark Messe, I went and sat in the dressing room, and the old baldy uh, uh, trainer came in and said, "Here's a beer for you, Ted." And nobody else had a beer when they came in. I'm just sitting there by myself, and Mark Roll came in and said, "Where'd you get the beer from?" And the guy says, "He's an ex-ranger." And I remember how much fun was that? Okay, to, to be part of that crowd to raise money 
but to be together at Madison Square Garden. Well, it was great too because because we had talked because every year I fought somebody. I fought Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. I fought David Boreanaz. I fought uh, De- uh, what's his name, Dennis Leary. So that was the night that we fought, and I was I was calling the the spots to you during the fight. Remember? Yeah. I kind of remember. Keep hitting me, Dad. Keep hitting me. I said, "Why?" I said, "I'm putting you over. I'm putting you over." I said, "I'll swing at you, and like you kind of like move away, and then you hit me. I'll fall down and jump on top of me, and start hitting me." And I think you had some PST D. <laughs> you were beating the shit out of me for a while. <laughs> I remember that night very, very well. Very emotional for me, and uh, uh, good cause. And uh, but there we were together in Madison Square Garden. How great is that? Yeah. So, I mean, over the course of, of, of these 30 years, it's, it's like I said, it, it, it seems like it was yesterday. In other ways, it doesn't seem like yesterday. Um, I think, once again, one of the reasons why I, I was able to do this was because you gave me the support for it. I never kind of had, like, there's no, you know, you, you, you give yourself a year to make it or, or there was no restrictions or anything like that. And... Um, I, I think that, I mean, I guess when this started, did you think I'd still be doing this 30 years in? You know, I, I phoned you about this whole thing, and I've been, I got 10 pages here, as I always do, and you won't let me speak that long. But <laughs> I, I didn't appreciate how big your heart was, how much you wanted it, uh, your pain threshold, your creativity. And I wrote down my last question, what kept you going? Because so many, you go so far in a career and then you say, I had enough. I don't know if you ever had that moment. I did a couple times. Says, One door opens another, recreate yourself, recreate. Yeah. If anybody ever said to me, you don't realize how tough this little so-and-so is. And you don't know, realize how much he wants something. You don't let anything get in your way. You've advised all of us over the years. You know, get on with it. One door shuts and I, where that came from, you live in that world to yourself. You don't let anybody in your bubble. So for me, do I think you'd go this long? No, nobody could imagine that. Why you got there is I analyze why I ask all these questions about the TV and the quotes and this guy, that guy. How do you stand up certain guys in the dress room? How do you have the guts to do that when you're only a young pop? How could you suggest that wrestler might have a career? And, and I go, where in the hell did you get that from? That's what I respect you so much for. And I know it's not been easy, but did I ever think it is? I look back now, boy, you're one of those uh, freak creations that you got something special in it, you, a want, a passion, and the fans. You believe in the fans. I mean, <laughs> it, it runs in the family because when I watch Ash play football and, and, you know, he's always the first one in the tackle, he's always involved, he's always talking shit. And I'm like, that's the Irvin gene. You know what I mean? It's, it's the tenacity and the, and, the, and the passion and the fire. It's the same reason why you were successful in the NHL. You weren't Wayne Gretzky by any stretch of the imagination, but you had the heart and 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 the belief and the passion and and the hard work ethic to to make things happen. You know, and that 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 means a lot when you're trying to you know do something that's very very difficult to do. But the difference with me was when I got to New York, I had a role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where I fit in the club and the teammates respected that to this day. I know what guys will say to me. Yourself, you've had to change your role all around the world, different styles and everything else. So you're really not part, you're part of a team, but it's more selective than what I had. And that's what's so your creation. Of, and that's why, you know, I look back at all those schools and all those tapings here in Winnipeg. 
there were some valuable, valuable lessons that you learned. That a lot of young guys aren't going to get it now. There are schools and everything else. Yeah. The phone calls you had to make to get boats. But that, but that goes. You always said you got to sell yourself. No one's going to pick up the phone and call you. You have to sell yourself to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's those all things. I got so many things. That I, yeah. Is there anything anything else you got written down you want to talk about? Well, I just uh, who was like I had who's like. In a dress room, dress rooms have to be key. Who's the fun guys, the trash talkers that kind of motivate everybody? Or do the guys all stay alone pretty well? Or you know, the dress room is always. I mean, you always have that in every every you know every time, every every era. I mean, there's guys like you know JBL was like that, or or uh, you know uh, Brad Armstrong was great at that, and and Eddie Kingston in AEW is like that. There's always you always get the characters. And wrestling more so than anywhere because there is so many characters and so many people that, you know, that are very, very, you know, gypsies, tramps, and thieves to be there in the first place. So everyone's pretty much a character, and, and some are more quiet than others, and others are just the total goofballs that are, are everything they say is funny. It's just like the dressing room in in, in, in a hockey team. Yeah, same. Yeah. Now you got three wonderful kids and Jessica there. What do you see now? You're like I know you. You got a long way to go. Your mind's not is not shut down. What do you see adding to those kids? What do you see adding to them? You know, it's it's funny. It's hard to say because like when I was growing up, you were just my dad, you know. And I thought it was yeah, he plays the NHL, and everyone be like, oh my gosh, your dad played for the NHL. And for me, it was just like, so what? Yeah, but he's just my dad. And then when I became you know a younger man going for my own dreams I realized just how huge it was that you made the NHL and now with the advent of YouTube you can go and watch a lot of your stuff so I think it'll be the same for my kids I mean it's cool to them but I'm just dad you know what I mean but yet when I when I you, know, you were on the hot wing challenge or you were on the one bite pizza challenge on barstool sports or you know you know David Arquette when my girls are watching scream you know the other day and I get them to send a video to them then when they start realizing there's something different about this guy. And I think that'll come out more so as they get older, the same way it did for me as I got older. Yeah, because everybody's got gifts, and your kids have got tremendous gifts too. They're all starting to, just starting to show up. With yeah, they're starting to grow. And, and we have the same attitude in our house that, that we had in, in our house when I was a kid of be creative, you know, and if you have a dream or have something that you want to do, go, go do it, make it happen. There's no restrictions and everything's positive, and that's the way it should be. Give me an example. The biggest venue that the adrenaline rush just kicked in and you got the long ramp. You'd say, wow, all these years, here I am. Is there a special spot that you had a chance to just enjoy where you got to, that you had a chance to enjoy the moment? Well, it's funny because it, it, it go, once again goes in levels. The first time I ever got to wrestle in Winnipeg, the first time I went to Japan, Cork and Hall, ECW Arena, you know, going to uh, Madison Square Garden for the first time. Tokyo Dome. I mean, there's these certain buildings that, that that you hear about so much. You know, the Forum in L.A., when you actually go there, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, you've made this next level, right? So, um, I mean, there's the, the, it's so funny because now we haven't gone to an arena in six, seven months now. You miss that vibe. And, and that's what wrestling is. You know, that's what hockey is and, and football is, is playing in front of people. So it's really strange, you know, since the lockdown to not have that. Thankfully, we do have some fans back. But to wrestle in the same venue for seven months, that's unprecedented. I've never done that before. It's hard to, it's hard to grasp.
and you got to be there as an anchor for some of these young wrestlers. They don't get that experience yet of the fans pop like me, don't like me. Well, but my my point is, I think it was easier for the younger guys to work in front of no people than it was for me because I haven't wrestled in front of less than you know five thousand people in twenty years. Those guys just basically came out of the scene where they're working in front of five hundred people a night, so it's a little bit more different. Where it's like, how do you, how is it going to be when crowds come back? What do you do? Like, obviously, it's instinct, but I remember even now when having five hundred people, it's weird to be out there and like, what do I do? Like, how? What do I do with my hands? You know what I mean? And it's just like anything else. We're gonna we're gonna have to get to back into the habit of it. It'll come back quickly, but it's been a long time doing shows with with no reactions. Yeah. So. Uh, credit to AEW, you guys are surviving very well. Well, yeah, and we've done a great job, and we've adapted, and our ratings have been great, our demos have been great, the matches have been great. So we're doing the best we can, and and it's only going to go up from here, you know. So, last question for you: Is there any any of my matches that stand out for you as ones that you enjoyed the most? Uh, I think the Shawn Michaels one of that's that that was that in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, that was a, a street fight or whatever it was. Yeah, what I wrote down, if you could touch on. I've enjoyed some of your tag team stuff with Kevin Owens and the big show. Mm -hmm. What you guys got out of each other. If I, I wrote it down, I said, how did you guys get them I mean, in two different walks of life? And I know you're not afraid to say things, but I enjoyed the work you guys did. Big show. And yeah. it was more, it was so close to being one. <laughs> Well, both of those were very uh, eye-opening. And Show was my favorite tag team partner of all time, by far. Uh, I, I, yeah, oh, by far. And that was because I was uh, tag team champions with Edge. Edge tore his Achilles tendon, and he was going to be out for eight months. So they didn't want to strip me of the title, so Vince wanted me to have another partner because we were going into a feud with DX. And a lot of people wanted to put me with a young guy, and I said, we can't do this. DX will eat you alive Unless we're in, unless I have somebody that's you know a world champion level that can deal with them, and I suggested Kane, and Vince suggested Big Show, and I said, okay, great, but he's no more comedy. He gets rid of the one-sided strap thing and goes to a, a singlet. Or I wanted him in tights. He wanted to do singlet, and I said, and we're going to remember how big he is, and he's he's going to be a giant with me. And Vince is like, absolutely, and that's where it started. And then every match we ever had, I won, but because of him, he'd always knock the guy out. And then we got so close, we ended up being like an old married couple when he'd be like, what's the card? And I'm like, it's right there. Put your glasses on. I can't find my glasses. Your glasses are on your head. Blah, 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 blah. Or else I'd come up with an idea and then he'd come up with an idea. I said, yeah, that's good, but mine's better. And he'd be like, okay, fine. I'll just sit here and be, be a big stupid giant then. I won't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a, a great chemistry, a great friendship and uh, excellent partner for sure. Yeah. And then the Kevin Owens thing in 2015, I was ready to just do house shows until my till my time was up. Because in 2015, if you remember, I just did live events. I was not on TV. And then I came back to WWE for a short run. It was supposed to be for three months. And I hooked up with Kevin Owens. I was like, this guy is great. He's just like me. And then suddenly I had this big vision and ended up staying there for a year and a half. Uh, so that kind of, once again, creatively stimulated me to know that you could have some fun. As long as I'm having fun, I'll do this as long as I can. And every single time when I find something that opens my creativity, then the sky's the limit. Yeah. No, as long as you're having fun, it's terrific. And uh, because sometimes we all quit too soon. Right. Also, right time not to do it. But your career has also evolved now of building another wrestling uh, fiefdom. So that's yeah. 
keeps you entertained too because your ideas and your respect for and also one of the things i'll say you've always respected the world of wrestling you honor the guys when they're there you know the old guys and new guys and I respect you for that because the past is the past is the past, but it wasn't for the guys who came before us. I remember, was it, was it Buffalo I was at where they had the Hall of Fame night? Yeah. Guys came in all dressed up. And I met <laughs> the guy who worked with Lou Thez, every boat just about. He was a multimillionaire. He'd started a rubber band factory. I remember sitting there talking, how would you go? I, I, I remember, I can't remember, uh, Ilya, gosh, Ilya Paulo or something like that. I can't I remember who you're talking about. It's, it's a Buffalo legend. Yeah. And if you go to Buffalo, you'll know. I think it's Ilya Paulo or something. I, I can find out uh, at a different. I that too. Yeah. So, well, Dad, thank you. It's been uh, uh, 30 years. You were there from the start and you've been there the, the whole time. And I don't think I would have made it if it wasn't for your support and your uh, Shell gas card. <laughs> I'm very proud of you, Chris. You got a long way to go yet, and keep entertaining and pass on all your gifts to other people. And uh, uh, I've uh, thanks for including me. Yeah, this is a great idea, and it's a perfect way to kind of wrap up the uh, Jericho 30 year anniversary. Like I said, which is we've done every damn other thing, so this is perfect. So it's the guy's name was Ilya DePaulo was his name. So there you go. Well, thanks dad. You might own a rubber band factory. Or something. <laughs> yeah, that might be next. <laughs> I love you. Thanks. You too, pal.